whenever the Grammys roll around the corner, the community is in kind of a frenzy and it's a polarizing moment for music because the community asks the question, are we truly championing the best music of this said year or is it a popularity contest? And I feel like you go through certain years and find certain picks and certain awards that don't necessarily add up. But if we really look at the history of the Grammys, I do feel like they have championed certain songs that really do deserve a place within your rotation. So in today's episode, guys, Lou and I are going to be going through several different songs that we feel like deserve a place in your rotation and that you guys should be hip to just because it's interesting going through the history of the Grammys and just seeing what was championed for every year and what should maybe make a rotation and a comeback for 2023 but guys thank you so much for listening to the audio podcast the reception has been beautiful if you guys are listening to us on spotify apple podcast or google play smash the follow button because we're dropping new episodes every single tuesday so lou welcome in another recommendations podcast but this time it's around one of the biggest events of the year for music and this is the grammy so what's your take on the grammys you know because we've I guess kind of slammed the Grammys in the past, but we've also given it praise um, in certain instances. I do feel like they do some things right, but then they'll make up for it with two different wrongs. So how do you feel about the Grammys? At the end of the day, we slander the Grammys pretty much every single year, and I think we're going to continue to slander the Grammys every single year just because a lot of the times they don't get the right choices. They don't really you know, nominate the, the best music of that year. And I think that the reason why we still cover the Grammys and we still talk about the Grammys is because it is that hub for giving gratification and giving awards and accolades to artists. And until there is a bigger or better award show, we're still going to be talking about them because it's the place to go to to celebrate and champion the music that we fall in love with over the course of a year. So I do want to give them some credit because... Like you were mentioning earlier, there are certain songs that we're going to talk about today that do deserve all of these accolades and trophies. But, you know, most of the time it's centered around popularity and it's centered around politics and a bunch of other stuff. So um, there's definitely, you know, need for improvement within the whole committee and the voting and everything else. But like I said, guys, there's always the light within the tunnel. And there's always a silver lining to everything. So let me ask you this, okay? So looking at hip hop, at least for the past couple of years, do you feel like they've done something right? Have they done something right? I, I mean, think for the Hard Part Five, they did something right. The Hard no? Part Five was a good win. I think that awarding Nas with uh, the Grammy for King's Disease was bittersweet because he was obviously deserving of a Grammy at that point in his career. Just that they awarded it to the wrong album. Um, so that was an interesting. One where I feel mixed If they about. actually gave it to Alfredo, I feel like that would have been the perfect synchronicity. Uh, I don't even want to say that word again. I'm going to fuck synchronicity, it up. Synchronicity, yeah. Exactly. Between the community decision and like the mainstream public decision. It would have been. But just to say, Nas did, the, you know, it was like the DiCaprio situation where it took him like three quarters into his career to get the, the Oscar. But um, it just should have been for something else. Do they do that on purpose else. for narrative spinning? I think they, they absolutely do. Where it comes to a point where either they don't award the artist or actor when they should because... It'll create controversy that they're not being awarded. But, and then like sort of being like, okay, well, we waited all this time. He doesn't deserve it for this one, but it's going to make headlines if we finally give him the award he's been waiting for. So let's just give it give it to them. You know? Yeah, for this year at least, um, what are you looking at? You know, like What do you want to see different this year at the Grammy? Well, yeah, at, at the time of this recording, the Grammy nominations aren't out. But I'm just expecting some underground love, especially when it comes to hip-hop. Because when you look at the mainstream scene, like we've been advocating for this entire year it's not strong so 
I want to see a repeat of what they did in 2020, where they were giving nominations to stuff like Black Habits by D Smoke, and they were putting a written testimony by J Electronica um, in the best rap album category. I want to I want to see more of that, not yeah. only for this year, but just going down the line in the future. That's what it should be. I always feel like they kind of miss uh, miss the mark with hip hop because even looking at let's say an Igor selection, that's not even a full rap album. It's not. You know? Neo soul, pop, um, R and B. There's so many different types of genres blended into one. And yes, you do have certain rapping performances, but then again, I could go through certain pop albums that have rapping performances. You know, that got nominated for other ones. But again, like an album like Igor, where are you gonna put it? You know, album of the year. It was one of the best albums of 2019. That's where it should have been. Okay, so do you think they slight hip hop albums? Absolutely. By giving bro. them the rap album of the year, yes. and then when it comes to the album of the year conversation, they'll give it to Taylor Swift. 100 percent, man. And like, even when you do get those rare moments where like they're gonna look stupid as hell for not putting T Pab in the album of the year category, they'll do it and just not award it it's the trophy. True. They didn't even give that the nomination. They gave it the nomination, oh, but I'm I saying see. like because they would have looked dumb as hell if they didn't do it. But then they didn't give it the trophy. You know what I mean? Do you mean? want to so, go through a list of every song that's ever gotten nominated for Song of the Year? Loki? For best rap song or Song of the Year? Song of the Year, just for the 2000s, just okay. to give people context. For the last point. decade or so, yeah, we can yeah, do we that. Yeah, we can do that. I, I was going through also the albums, and it was pretty funny because there was uh, certain ones that I feel like shouldn't have been in conversation, but oh, it is sure. what it so, is. Yeah, let's go through um, last year to start off. So you had About Damn Time by Lizzo. You had oh. All Too Well by Taylor Swift, oh. As It Was by Harry Styles, Bad Habit by Steve Lacey, um, Break My Soul by Beyonce. That was a good one. Um, what else did you have? God Did by DJ Khaled got a Song of the Year nomination. Not Don't ask me course. how. Um, all right, hard I'll, part five. Yeah, I'll go Song of the Year um, at the Grammy Award winners. Let's go every single year. So for 2022, it was Leave the Door Open by Silk Sonic. Um, 2021 was I Can't Breathe by Her. Then it was Bad Guy by Billie Eilish in 2020. This is America. By of, Child- of all rap songs to award yeah. it to, This is America, really? Uh, I'll word. This is America, Childish Gambino, 2019. 2018 was That's What I Like by Bruno Mars. Hello in 2017 by Adele. Thinking Out Loud in 2016 by Ed Sheeran. 2015, Stay With Me by Sam Smith. That's actually a beautiful song. I love Stay Great With song. Me. Great song. Yeah, Sam Smith uh, in tw- it was in his 2015 bag. Um... Royals by Lord 2014. Never enjoyed that song, if I'm being honest <laughs> with you. Found it just like it was a bit off putting. It's like a bit too whatever. It's okay. Anyways, We Are Young. Um, fun. By fun. Uh, yeah. That's, like one, fun I, that's one of Travis Scott's favorite songs. I don't know if you know that. It's so random because it sounds nothing like his music, but yeah, he loves that one. Yeah, Rolling in the Deep by Adele. I remember when that went absolutely crazy. Everyone's um, mom just became obsessed with Adele around that time. Absolutely. Around. 2011 was Need You Now by uh, Lady Antebellum. Then after that, 2010 was Single Ladies by Beyonce. Oh. Um, so that was the 2010s decade and uh, a bit of the 2020s. So hopefully things change. But what did you look for in this recommendations podcast, Lou? Well, wait, wait, listen, I'll be honest with you. When it came to a lot of the rap songs, it was a lot of the basic ones. You know, you had Humble, that one, and you had a lot to that one. And I'm like, well, I've spoken about these songs about a billion times. So I'm not going to be putting anyone onto anything if I bring those in. So I tried to sort of really go through... Not only the best rap song or song of the year categories, but also going into like some more in-depth categories so that I could find more niche stuff. So, for example, I ended up finding stuff in like best rap melodic performance or best rock song of the year and shit like that. So that's sort of how I treated this is um, not only sticking it to hip hop, but also going out of those realms. And again, maybe going to the less popular categories that people tend to overlook. So... 
I could start things off with a recommendation. Go for it. First one I wanted to do was Lockdown by Anderson Park. This came out in 2020, and I believe it dropped on Juneteenth, so June 19, 2020. This was in the midst of all the lockdowns and the protests, and I remember just living through that time and feeling like everyone was shell-shocked, and it felt like, to me at least as a music lover, that a lot of mainstream artists were sort of being silent um, to a certain point, and when this came out, it was a bit comforting because it's like, okay, like... I get to hear from one of my favorite artists touching on something that I'm living through right now and the whole world is experiencing and just giving their perspective on it. And Mm -hmm. um, it's not something that I demand out of artists, you know, the way that you have, let's say, a no-name speaking out, you know, saying, oh, well, J. Cole, you should be protesting and making music. And no, that's not my stance on it. It's just if it comes and an artist feels like using their platform to speak about a subject, it's rewarding for me as a listener. And that's what I got. I got to hear um, Anderson Powell give me a soft, calming R&B protest song, and it ended up being, to me, one of his most powerful and timely tracks um, just to hear him sing about how the world felt like it was turned upside down with the looting and everything that went on. And Anderson Pock is giving you um, a lot of sound effects that were cinematic of just chaos going down in the streets. And it was cool that it was a protest song that was also a song that I could just enjoy on an everyday basis. Like, even now that... Um, we're three years after those events, I can still throw this song and just enjoy Mm -hmm. the beautiful hook and just the vocal lines. And what's cool too is that there is a more rap-centric remix that he put out that featured Jid, J-Rock, and No Name, which is a must-listen. I don't know if you you heard that. I remember that, that. yes, absolutely. Amazing remix uh, attached to it as well. So yeah, I just felt like this was good for the Grammys. You know, they gave it to a song that not only musically was great but also was important for that year incredible yeah incredible okay let me start off with my first song for today and this is going to be the girl from impanema nice um from stan Getz um and jao gilberto if i should uh, pronounce it properly um this comes from uh stan Getz's album with jao gilberto um which is called uh Getz and gilberto it is a fusion um i believe of bossa nova brazilian music and um also jazz music it's kind of a fusion of both and what's interesting is that this album as a whole um in which the girl from impanama actually stems from is it was very important for jazz music in the 60s because they were seeing a bit of a commercial decline um, with jazz when rock and roll came over and the Beatles were starting to get prominent and there was a lot more acts that were starting to take over. So basically what would happen was is that you had this unlikely duo of Stan Getz and Gilberto come together and they formed their own unique sound for this. And this album won um, Album of the Year at the Grammys in 1965, so I really had to do some digging for this. Um, but I recognized the cover based on my jazz playlist and then... Um, I remembered, I'm like, man, my grandfather was a huge fan of this project. So when I went back into it, I found this song, which is The Girl from Impanema. And this is actually a very interesting story because it's based on a true story um, of Stan Getz being in Impanema, uh, Impanema excuse me, and watching a beautiful 17-year-old girl go buy cigarettes for his mother. This is a city uh, in Brazil? Um, no, I believe. Where is Impanema? Impanema. Let's look that up. I'm curious. Impanema. Um, yes, it's a beach in Brazil. Excuse okay, me. Cool. And um, I believe the model that they're talking about, because this girl actually ended up becoming a famous supermodel, is Heliosa Inieda Paes Pinto Mendes Pinheiro. 
I hope I said that properly. A lot of names. Um, and she actually, yes, and she actually uh, posed again for a, like a certain cover or like a, a certain memorial for the album. But it's a beautiful song. You get a, a fusion of Portuguese singing and also English singing. So it's very unique as far as that goes. And you get these beautiful Latin strings that ring off all the way throughout it. And you can't necessarily put a genre on this album because some people consider Bossa Nova to be a fusion of like samba, but with a Brazilian influence. But I don't know, guys, make it out for yourself. I might just be talking out of my ass at this point. I try to do as much research as I can, but it's just, it's a beautiful song. It's a great song for your recommendations, and this actually won Song of the Year at the Grammy. So Song of the Year and Album of the Year. Yes, wow. absolutely. So the uh, the project was extremely celebrated, and then Jazz saw like a little revival after this project ended up dropping. Um, and there was a couple of different musicians that tried to go to Brazil and tried to find a different new development um, in jazz music to make it sound refreshing again. That's always something you got to celebrate, bro. When like an artist from a certain genre that's dipping off could come back and reinvigorate it. I, like, but that's, it was, it was the, something. But I'm not sure because I, I don't think Stan Getz was dip, dipping off. It was just more the genre was in a time of that's crisis. That's what I'm saying, the genre I, itself. Yes, it was in a time of crisis and this album kind of brought a new fresh life to it. So there's also like an historical importance to this album and it's one of my favorite listens of all time. Another um, song off of this album that you guys would absolutely adore um, is Corcovado, Quiet Nights of Quiet Stars. Gorgeous song. I've played this in the studio before. It's beautiful. I'm gonna, yeah, I'm going to draw that down. The girl from... In Panama, right? In Panema. In Panema, in Panama. Okay. In Panema. Excuse me, by the way, if there there's any... Yeah, in Panema. There's any okay, I, I've seen this album cover before. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a this super popular, popular album. Super popular Interesting. Album. Okay, fire. Um, and it is celebrated as one of the most important jazz albums of all time, and it's a recommendation for any jazz collection. So go ahead and enjoy it for me, guys. Awesome. All right, I'm going to go come back with a rap song. This is going to be Higher by DJ Khaled. Yes, a Khaled recommendation featuring Nipsey Hussle and John Legend. And this is definitely a diamond in the rough when it comes to Khaled's 2019 album, Father of Assad. What performance did this win for? It won for best, I believe, sorry, best rap slash sung performance. Interesting. It was one of those like two-sided awards. But yeah, um, one of Nipsey's last performances, which definitely makes it special if you are a Nipsey fan. He even got time to to shoot the video for it, which was really well done. And the mix just feels like it was dipped in holy water, bro. You have these soaring choir vocals. You have John Legend singing beautifully about God lifting him up and about how the devil is a liar. Um, and Nipsey comes in and sounds like he's delivery, delivering a poetic sermon. He's rapping about how his mother was born after multiple miscarriages and how it was a blessing from God. And he's also rapping about the sacrifices his family had to make coming from Africa, moving to the States, and about how he feels so much pride to have been able to make them proud um, over the course of his career. So one of the most personal and riveting performances ever from Nipsey Hussle and the second verse, which is what's interesting, is that has more aggression and the beat becomes a bit altered and it's him getting into how gangbang creates a nasty ripple effect in different communities. Um, and the song is just really about divine intervention and how the wonders of God have worked in John and Nipsey's lives, um, you know, separately. And it's also a bit hard to listen to after Nipsey's passing, if you do pay attention to the lyrics of the second verse. Um, but it's an uplifting song ultimately, and it's one of those tracks where you're like, wow, Khaled actually knew what he was doing. He put the right artists in the right room together, and they made magic. So I don't give Khaled too much praise on this podcast, but when it's due, it's, it's due. due. 
All right, yeah. W pick. I'm going to go into my next song. This is going to be Just the Way You Are by Billy Joel, released in 1977 off of the iconic album The Stranger. If you guys are not familiar with this beautiful album, please do yourselves a favor and go listen to it right now. One of the best um, albums that were released in the 1970s decade. Um, and this one, Grammy Song of the Year in 1999. Um, and basically, this song was actually never supposed to be released uh, because initially... Um, Billy Joel was not a fan of the song itself, but um, he had two people, Linda Rosenalt, and after that, Phoebe Snow, that ended up convincing him to keep it on it. But what's interesting about this is that this was actually a love song that was intended um, for uh, Billy Joel's ex-wife, Elizabeth Weber, who was also a business associate of his. And once he got divorced to Elizabeth Weber, um, I believe in 1982, he would never play this song um, until the 2000s, I guess, after you know, kind of the smoke settled and the dust settled and he ended up kind of making amends with the divorce. But it's a beautiful song. Um, I mean, there's not much I can really talk about it just besides like Billy Joel's beautiful vocals. Mm. Like that's really the, the standout of this track for me. Um, it's triumphant. It feels gorgeous to listen to. It's very emotional when it comes to the songwriting itself. And I think you guys are going to have a fantastic time with it. And the reason why I want to bring this in is because I'm a big fan of Billy Joel. And I do feel like The Stranger is probably his best album, at least in my eyes. And this could be a fantastic way to get into this album because um, this, this song is a top 10 hit on the Billboard. It was massive. I believe it peaked at number three in the U.S. And it might be your introduction um, into the rest of the album itself. So this was a song that I feel like they did get right um at least for a win you know because you can't go through that entire year i wasn't born in the 70s and say like oh well this is a bad selection this doesn't sound good in 2023 no this is timeless music and you guys are gonna absolutely enjoy this um what else could i give you guys off of the stranger um you have vienna that's one of his best ever songs as well that is an incredible um vocal performance and even just such a an emotional song itself how many pages does it have 1.3 million wow Slow it down, you crazy child. Yeah, You're so, so ambitious for a juvenile. Yeah. Definitely a classic. He's, uh, he's 74 and he's still touring. That's crazy. I just looked this up. Wh where does he tour this year? He's uh, he's doing a residency at Madison Square Garden um, leading up to next summer. So Wow. That's fucking impressive. Bro. It is impressive. Yeah. But awesome. yeah, one of the most iconic singers of all time, one of the most iconic artists of all time, Billy Joel, thought I'd bring that in for you guys from... 1977. All right. Some more hip-hop for me. Next up, Let Me Blow Your Mind by Eve featuring Gwen Stefani from 2001. A song that I feel like for most people from this generation, they probably wouldn't know from the sample that was used on Central Sea's song Doja. Um, but this song blows that track all the way out of the water. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just an absolute anthem. I love the fact that Eve is giving you that duality of rapping and singing really well. And you had Gwen Stefani who comes in with a smashing chorus and has great chemistry with Eve. And apparently a lot of people told Eve not to make this song. They said it's never going to work. Gwen Stefani was a random feature. People weren't going to get behind it. But those naysayers couldn't have been more wrong because this was a fucking smash hit. Gwen Stefani, um, random feature. Apparently, bro. Interesting. Apparently. But yeah, listen, what's also cool about this song is that it's literally like all stars that worked on it. Besides Gwen and Eve, you had Dr. Dre and Scott, Scott Storch the behind the boards. Yeah. You got a classic bouncy bass line that reminds you of a lot of the West Coast heat that Dre brought into um, the 90s. And then you have um, obviously the keyboard and then you have a nice sampled guitar riff, which really adds that funk and that memorable 
part that ends up being sampled but um definitely one of the best rap and pop collaborations that i've ever heard so if you guys are into that into getting um a rap song that's more accessible that could even appeal to people that aren't into hip-hop you could show this one to some of your friends um apart from that yeah it's just a fantastic song and it's eve just rapping about her longevity in the game and what she has that other rappers don't and what makes her a special artist within the landscape um that she was uh, working in. And at the end of the day, this stands as her most iconic song for a good reason. So if you guys haven't tapped into Eve, this would be the place to start, without right. a doubt. W of a recommendation. Let's go on to my next one. And Lou, you might actually know this song. This is Tears in Heaven by Eric Clapton. Um, it rings a bell, but... Yeah, so this was a song that released in 1992. Um, and there's an extremely... Um, sad and tragic story behind this song. Eric Clapton lost his four-year-old son yes. uh, to a tragic event uh, when he fell off a 53-story uh, building. Um, and it was just, it was devastating. It made national headlines. And this was one of the tribute songs that Eric Clapton made for his son. It's a beautiful song. It really is. Um, if you understand the context of Eric Clapton's career and how much hardship he went through with drug abuse, losing his son and alcoholism and everything that comes with it, he really suffered as a musician. And um, I feel like this song kind of provides relief for him you know it's kind of like his tears in heaven if that makes sense to you but initially he didn't even want to put the song out um mm. and it was originally a part of a soundtrack for the film rush um and then lizana convinced him to put it out and her argument was that it might in some way help someone um and he said that that got his vote to put it out so that was the reason behind it then further context behind the song he actually stopped playing uh, playing it live in 2004 because he felt like he had moved on from that phase in his life. So he kind of put that whole chapter to bed in that year. And this song to him kind of felt like a, like a therapy session, you know, and him really um, having a tribute to his son, Connor. So it's a beautiful song. The writing is emotional. It's a very deep, deep track. And um, Eric Clapton is one of the best guitarists to ever live. So the reason why I wanted to bring this in is that I don't want to give you guys an introduction like cocaine, for example. That's <laughs> not necessarily maybe the best place to go, even though it's maybe a favorite of mine. But this is really uh, top of the line, and this won six different Grammy Awards um, in 1993. Wow. What did it so, win? Song of the Year? Uh, song of the Year as well. I, I guess Best Performance. I only mm. found it in the, the Song of the Year category, so I don't want to tell you guys anything that's false, but... One of his best ever songs, um, historical import importance as well, and one that I think that you guys would uh, really appreciate. A decade-defining song as well when it comes uh, for Eric Clapton. So, go awesome. spin that for me. All right, next up for me is going to be American Boy by Estelle featuring Kanye West. Um, one of the most... The, the Fortnite version? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I had to bring that one in. Um, but yeah, this is one of the most... If you're looking at it at face value on paper in 2023, like... You have a prime 2008 Kanye West linking up with an R&B singer, which was Estelle, who was relatively unknown. So it was definitely a random-ass link-up at that time. Estelle was known, though. It, this was off her debut album. She wasn't really, you know, that reputable or didn't really have that much of a catalog I know, but to I feel back like there her was still up. People, if, because I, I did a bit of deep diving behind Estelle's career, and I think that, like... Yeah, you're right. She wasn't the most reputable, but there was people that was really gunning for her type of Yeah, she definitely, yeah, she definitely had her ties and um it just it was just a risk for Kanye to link up with an artist that was really at the beginning of her career. So, it was cool to see him do that, but they did have mutual friends like Will I Am and John Legend. Um and apparently like the way that she got his verse on the album was that she had seen him at a restaurant in London, literally walked up over to his table and asked him if he wanted to collaborate on something. 
on a limb and he ended up being interested in the idea. Maybe he had heard of her somehow. I don't really know all the details, but it's cool that she just oh, shot. Cool she shot her shot and uh, it ended up, you know, paying off. So I love that about it. But apart from that, in terms of the song, I love the dynamic interplay between Estelle and Kanye because you're getting the mix of genres between um, the R&B and, of course, the hip-hop from Kanye and also the fact that it's a love song that has a story. You know, you have Ye who's, you know, this flashy guy who just touches down in London and he meets Estelle who is not really accustomed to the American lifestyle and wants to sort of go on an American adventure with this guy and go to see New York and LA and all the trendy cities. Um, so it's really about this foreign relationship and there's this magnetic dancing um, disco feeling to it. It feels like an old disco song in, in some degree, but it's just a big dancing anthem and um, I love the synths behind it and I just love the interaction between Estelle and the guy you know, played by Kanye Great catchy chorus, nice harmonies, and um, yeah, just the fact that she held her own being alongside one of the biggest artists at the time. Like, she really owns that song. Like, that song is her who is leading it, dominating it all throughout. And um, I also love the fact that they also share a few lines on the second verse. Like, you could tell they were probably in the studio together crafting it. So, that gets bonus points for me as well. But um, yeah, it's one of those songs that I feel like you play for anyone and they'll probably enjoy it. It's danceable, it's light, um, and you don't have to really be boxed into any genre to like it. So W classic for me. W one of Ye's best features. All right, let me go into a next recommendation. I have Viva La Vida by Coldplay. Nice. One of the best ever songs of all time, in my opinion, and a very important song at that. And um, the reason why I want to bring it in today is that you guys maybe probably spin this a lot, like in the early 2010s, especially if you're our age. But I mean, if you have it and you're a new age listener, I mean, fuck it. Just give this a play. You know, you might have listened to this song because it did get massive radio play. But I think the recommended again and go into the historical context of this song um, is really Meredith's. Because if you pay attention to the name of the song, which is uh, Viva La Vida, you go into this, it's kind of like this kind of play on the narrative of the French Revolution. And if you go into the lyrics of the song, um, not only does that pay homage to the French Revolution, but it does it in a biblical and historical conf uh, context. So it's a beautiful song at that. You get this incredible production that rings all throughout it. And the inspiration behind the song is interesting because um, there was a 20th century Mexican artist named Frida Kahlo. In, uh, Frida Kahlo, excuse me. And she went through a bunch of different hardships. Like I believe she had broken her back. She had polio. Um, she had a lot of different problems and health problems, but she was always very uplifting. And she had a painting in her house from a, a Spanish painter. I think she had made it herself. And it ran, and it, like on top of it, it had said, Viva la vida. And basically, that's where Chris Martin had gotten the inspiration for the song. And he said she went through a lot of pain. And of course, and then she started um, a big painting in her house that said, Viva la vida. I just love the boldness of it. And that's basically what um, the song means to Chris Martin. And I think to the billions of people that have heard this is, you know, regardless of the pain, the triumph will always come through and will always push forward. And um, the story of the French Revolution is beautiful. Um, it's glorious. It's big in symbolism for uh, pushing forward and taking the bull by its horns and really, you know, gunning for your own future. So I feel like, yes, it's a smash hit, but there's a lot more that goes on with it behind the scenes and there's a lot of stuff to study with it. So that's kind of like the historical context behind it. Yeah, that's a classic, bro. I mean, I fucking, uh, I used to junk that song as a kid. I still I junk it to this did. day. I still yeah. put it in my car. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's a beautiful song. It's triumphant. It's just like, you cannot feel 
um, anything but joy mm-hmm. and, and like a sense of triumph after listening to it. So that's why I wanted to bring it into the quick little recommendation. I'd love to hear that, like at a festival setting or in a big crowd stadium. Like I feel like everybody would just be singing all the lyrics, and it would just be. Um it's a special moment. It but. would be. It's a very special song. I feel yeah. like it's one of those Coldplay songs that, you know, just holds such beautiful weight. And it was released in 2008. Uh, ended up winning Song of the Year at the Grammys in 2009. So another big favorite for me. All right. Next up for me is going to be Cranes in the Sky by Solange. This came out in 2016 off of her acclaimed album called A Seat at the Table. Um, really amazing album, by the way, if you guys haven't checked it out. And if you're a fan of some traditional R&B mixed in with some modern R&B. Um, fantastic project all throughout. But yeah, she took, I think, eight years to work on this song. So it was definitely a special record for her. And I think she also admitted that it was the only song on this album that she had written in its entirety. She literally wrote every single word on there. And what's cool, too, is that it was inspired by um, the real estate boom in Miami in like 2008. And she was staying at a condo there in Miami. And she just kept seeing a bunch of cranes in the sky because they kept building um, more and more of these condo complexes. And Mm -hmm. it was sort of just based on like her perception of that and what what it represented. It sort of represented these dark clouds. And for her, it was like, well, there's major problems that this country is facing, but we're just ignoring it. We're just building higher and higher and we're focusing on the wrong things. And she applied that to her own personal life. And the foundation of the song is built on like standard drums and bass. You get some melancholic strings, some nice layers of keys, super minimalistic, but it sets up this gloomy mood. And then Solange is singing passionate, passionately, excuse me, with a lot of vulnerability um, and a lot of desperation in her vocals as she's trying to sing about like what she does to try to cope with her depression. And that's what's really cool is her perspective on the writing side of this track because she's singing about like trying to consume herself with her own work or with alcohol or with buying clothing or with her making serious changes in her life, like letting go of a lover. It's as if like she's distracting herself and making these changes to try to reach mental clarity and happiness when really she's not facing the true problems and the true roots of her issues that are laying right in front of her. So, um, I love what the song stands for. I love the messaging. I think a lot of people can apply it to their own lives. And it's also a really fun structure because you have like five rapid fire verses. You have a cool bridge that's moved into it. So I I feel like the song moves really quickly, even though it's like a five minute cut. Um, And yeah, just a great analogy with the cranes in the sky, great writing and a song that's rooted in reality. So I like that the Grammys chose to award a song that doesn't have all the glitz and glamour. You know, it's a bit more of a gloomier, darker song, but they knew what they were doing with that one, bro. They knew what they were doing. But uh, okay, my last recommendation for today is actually going to be an album. Um, sorry to spoil the party. Um, you know, I know this is a songs episode, but I really wanted to talk about the score by the Fugees. I wanted to talk about this album because... Did they uh, not get anything for song? I'm curious. Let's, let's look up what they want because... they. I believe it only won Rap Album of the Year in 1997, if I believe. Okay. Because I, I don't know, I, I feel like Killing Him Softly... I, I No, it didn't win. Killing Me Softly didn't win, no? Not from what I saw on Song of the Year. Interesting. Yeah, it just won Best Rap Album, apparently. Yeah, that was the only thing that it had won. Hmm. But yeah, this is an incredible album, guys. And, you know, The Miseducation of Lauryn Hill was also an historic album because uh, what Lauryn Hill did with that album and uh, how that won Album of the Year in all genres across the board was massive as well. But 
I, I really do feel like this was the foundation for Lauren Hill, and this was kind of like her breaking out party. And um, also for Wyclef Jean, just seeing like how his career kind of like flourished and went into the direction that it did. And I do feel like if I look at the miseducation of the score, like my personal favorites, I prefer the score. I'm not even going to lie to you. Like this mm. album is really, really important to me. Um, I bump it on a weekly basis. I go back to songs like a Killing Me Softly with this song or even something like The Mask or The Score. It's just there's cowboys. Really, song after song is beautiful. And if you guys have never gone through The Score, please do yourselves a favor and do so because it is one of the best rap albums of all time. Um, it is considered a timeless classic. And I do feel like when you look at that 1996 year it is one of the best of that year and just the different blends of r&b and soul and hip-hop and pop all fused together into one track list you never really saw that for a rap album in the 90s and people often give the miseducation of lauren hill that credit but they don't really understand that that stemmed from the score with the fujis so i could kind of even say that well if you don't have the score, do you have the miseducation? And then that's what you really have to ask yourself. So it is a recommendation of mine. Please, you guys could go through um, songs like Killing Me Softly with this song, one of the best vocal performances of all time by a rapper. Actually, you know what I'm going to say? It is the best rapping performance by a rapper um, ever. And I don't even want to say that Lauren Hill is just a rapper. Like, that would be disrespectful to say, but... If I had to kind of classify it, you know, for the sake of the barber talk, that's the way I would put it. But even the storytelling and the imagery on the mask and um, the boom bap production on the score, some of my favorite all-time records, um, you know, Fuji La is incredible as well, Ready or Not, How Many Mics, just classics after classics yeah. after classics on there. So. Amazing. I just saw, it was, uh, I think, a moment from the end of one of Lauren Hill's performances, and it gave some interesting context about her career. Like, she was addressing that whole sentiment that some of the fans have about how like she shows up late to shows mm -hmm. and she was just talking about how um when it came to her career like she's been so blessed to be able to like, tour the world just off of one solo album and she's like the truth of the matter is like no one ever came to me asking me to make a second album i guess in terms of like she didn't specify who i'm assuming maybe her record label or the executives or people that were handling the business side of her music but she was saying no one ever came to me um, for me to make a second album. So I spent my life making the best out of this one extraordinary body of work I put together. And I've seen nothing but blessings. I've had time to build community with the people around me. And it was just, it's like, wow, bro, that's artistry, bro. That like, is artistry at a top That's level. artistry on a different fucking level. Like she really did that. One of bro. the best artists that the genre has ever seen. Yeah. Um, just the impact that you could have with one hour worth of music. It blows my mind. But um, I'll go in depth with one more song and then I'll, Briefly mention some other ones that I had in my list, but I want to talk about Ain't No Sunshine by Bill Withers. Um, oh, beautiful. I song. don't even know. I think it's, I know it's in the 60s, but I want to make sure I get the year right. Ain't No Sunshine. Um, when this came out. And rest in peace to Bill Withers. He passed away, I think, last year. Absolute legend when it comes to soul music. But yeah, this came out in, oh, 71, actually. Okay, interesting. Um, so yeah, this is one of those songs that always has had a lot of nostalgia for me. Um, been Isn't listening your to brother, it. Uh... My brother's a big fan of it. It's been playing in my house since I was a kid. So it's one of those songs that just it feels warm and cozy to me. It's like um, you know lying in your fucking favorite blanket, bro. It's comforting, um, and it's a song that can never do you it's any wrong. It's one of my favorite driving songs of all time, too. Absolutely, so classic. It's even covered by like Paul McCartney. Stevie Wonder, like a bunch of musical legends have also covered this song, but I just love the sentiment of it because you listen to a lot of like romantic and love songs today and it's about like a man simping over a woman or trying to pull a fast one on his girl by 
you know, playing the field or whatever it is. But this song is literally about a guy waking up and feeling like his only motivation that he needs to do good in the world is to see his wife, to see his woman. And that puts a smile on his face. And that's the only recharge that he'll ever need is being surrounded by good company. So I love the wholesomeness of the track. Um, I love all of the vocal techniques he's doing. The whole like, I know, I know, I know. Like he, they didn't even want to put that into the song. Like he just, that was filler. And the people that were in the studio fucked with it. And he's like, okay, I'm keeping it in. Um, but cool little backstory for this song is that this song was actually his breakout moment. He wrote it when he was 31 years old. And at that time, he was working at this factory that built toilet seats for airplanes, um, which oh, is really interesting. And then once this song came out and it blew up, the single ended up re reaching gold status. And once it was gold certified his record company actually like presented him with a golden toilet seat. <laughs> and, and, and that's what, you know, he, they gave to him and that's sort of marked the beginning of a new career for him. So shout out to Bill Withers, absolute legend when it comes to the soul scene. But some other songs I had in the tuck, um, Ain't It Fun by Paramore, amazing rock song that won for best rat rock song of the year. Um, really cool to see some, uh, some gospel elements fused into that one. And then, 10% K Trinata and Caliuchis. That's true. That won as well. That's another one that won. What year did um, that win? That was 2019. It won for, I think, best electronic dance recording. And that's timeless, bro. Like, you could play that now in 2023 or in 1983. And uh, it's just one of those amazing dance records that everybody could get into. But yeah, bro. I mean, listen, hopefully the future of the Grammys is bright. Yes. Hopefully. You look at a lot of these old picks, and it's like, man, like where has music gone? I know, bro. It's a bit, uh, it's a bit scary to compare the quality of some older records to some newer ones, for it sure. Felt like there was a lot more of an appreciation for music back then and for the artistry. Oh yeah. You know, now it's a lot of just, just filler, bro. It feels like a lot of filler. I was looking through a lot of the pop categories as well, and it's garbage. It is. It's, it's garbage. It's beans on toast. It's a like lot of hot trash. But whatever. Yeah. That's just our opinion. You guys might like it. You guys might hate it. But let me know in the comments section, guys. How do you feel about the Grammys? And drop Lou and I a little recommendation for our rotations. Much love to everyone that comes in every single week and supports us on one of these audio podcasts. As I said at the beginning of this episode, Lou and I are going to be dropping episodes every single Tuesday on our recommendations, tier lists, um, different fun games, top 10 lists, and much more. So if you guys enjoyed this, smash the follow button. Leave us a little review. It helps us as well. And... We hope you guys enjoyed this audio experience. So I hope you guys have a beautiful week and I'll catch you next Tuesday. Peace.